We are in 2 Corinthians, starting out a brand new book. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to get through six verses today. 2 Corinthians 1, look at verse 1. Let's read. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much that the word of God is already blessed. We're going to open our heart and receive it by faith and be nourished and blessed by it. Holy Spirit, we call upon you as the divine teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person listening. Open them by the gift of your grace. Cause them to see, hear, and understand what you're saying. Father, I thank you for breaking this apart and causing people to hear your voice today and walk away with exactly what they need. And only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. We also want to welcome our online guests. Turn around and wave at the world because the world is watching. And so I think the last check, we had like 64 nations that had, had uh, logged on, not all at one time, but, but praise God, glad you can join us. So let's hop right into 2 Corinthians. Let's start with an introduction of this book. Who was the author? Paul's the author. How do I know? Well, it starts out, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Paul is the author of this book. And so he wrote 2 Corinthians after he wrote 1 Corinthians. It's a deep thought. And so... <laughs> 2 Corinthians is a follow-up letter to the 1 Corinthian letter. So he's writing in 1 Corinthians, he writes a hard letter. It's a corrective letter. And so this church, there's a lot wrong in this church. Matter of fact, the Corinthians or the Corinth church was his, Paul's trouble child. Now I know those that have multiple children and you realize there are some kids that you have that they're just compliant. And so whatever you say to do, you just look at them. They just start bawling, yes, I'm gonna, and they're just the, so compliant. But then you have the troubled child. And so you have the, heart, the, the strong-willed child. John uh, you know, Dobson wrote the strong-willed child. Well, he didn't write anything according to what would cover Paul's need for the Corinthian church because they were the strong-willed child, the troubled child. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians. It's a strong corrective letter. Matter of fact, he's going to write it in tears. He's going to say in 2 Corinthians, I wrote to you and I was in tears. I didn't want to write this book. You know, as parents, you hear this as kids growing up and you don't believe it. But you hear the parents say, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And as a kid, you're like, no, it's not. (laughs) Sure. But then you become a parent and you realize, no, this does hurt me more than you. And so this hurt Paul to wrote this. He said, I repented. As soon as I sent that letter off, I regretted it. Oh my, what sorrow this could cause, you know, this correct. But then when he heard that they repented and by and large got it straight, then he says, you know what? I did repent. I did regret it, but I don't regret it now because of the effect that it had in you. And so there's a lot wrong in the Corinthian church. He wrote the first, the first letter to correct a lot of problems. There was strife in this church. 
they were actually suing one another at court. And so there was immorality, sexual immorality going on in this church. And then they were getting drunk at the communion table. And so you think you've come out of a hard or difficult or a bad church. Well, we see the Corinthian church with this. And they also had false doctrine where they were teaching there was no no resurrection. And so Paul had to correct one after another after another. And so Paul here is writing a second letter to them. And this is a letter of restoration. And so, uh, matter of fact, another thing in 1 Corinthians is there was a man sleeping with his stepmother in the church and the church was boasting about it look we're we have so much grace in our church this is look what's going on the sin that's going on in our church and they were boasting about it and paul said so paul said kick the guy out of church and so they were none of them wanted to kick him out of church and then paul's letter came and then all of them kicked him out of church and then the guy repented got it straight got it right with the lord knocked on the door and none of them would let him in all of them were, were uh, condemning him. And Paul says, now let him back in. And so Paul's doing this letter. But you know what? There, and then there's some that in this church, Paul corrected them. And there were some in here that were pouting. They didn't like being corrected. And they turned around and started picking things at Paul and started saying, now, you know, you're wrong. And, and you're not an apostle. And why should we listen to you? And uh, you said you would come to us. And you didn't come to us. Look, what you didn't keep your word. And so... Uh, you ever been watching a small child and all of a sudden find yourself arguing with the little kid? <laughs> you know, and you become as immature as a little kid and you're arguing with this kid. Well, Paul's tempted to get into argument with these brats that they're, they're talking back to Paul. And so this is what this book's about, but it's tremendous doctrine about our redemption, about our new creation and walking out and being free from the law. So let's hop right into the book. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all of Achaia. So Paul said, I'm an apostle by the will of God. Look at that word apostle. We get our Greek word apostle from this Greek word. It's apostolos, and we get the word apostle to transliteration of this Greek word. It means a sent one. Say sent one. With a message and authority. It's a sent one with a message in authority. And so Paul's an apostle. One of the fivefold ministry gifts is one is an apostle. But in a way, all of us are sent ones. Mm -hmm. All of us are called by the, have the authority and a message called the gospel. And so all of us are sent ones. And so, but you know what? I think it's important that we're sent by the Lord, that we're sent ones, not went ones. There's a lot of went ones in the body of Christ. And so we all have a calling, but then there's a point in time where we have a calling, and then there's a time period where we're separated into that calling. And so what's between our calling and what's between our separation? Character building. To where we learn the message, we learn our authority, we learn who we are, and before we go out. And Paul said in Romans, as much as is in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel. As much as is in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel. Some people, God can only use like a one-note piano. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. But if you put the word in you year after year, you can become someone filled with the word of God. The Holy Spirit can play you like a concert piano and use you. And so Paul had a calling. Early on in his life, he was called to be an apostle. And so he tried to step out too early into his calling. He just got saved, went into Arabia. It says in Galatians that Mount Sinai is in Arabia. 
And so he went to Mount Sinai where the law was given. And Christ met him there and he was taught by Jesus at Mount Sinai and he taught about the law and what truly the law was about, what grace was about. And he just came off a great revelation and walked in and he says, you know, I went up to Jerusalem to meet church leadership. He, he exalted himself and he went and had Barnabas introduce him and then all of a sudden he went right at trying to fulfill his call. He started arguing with the Greeks. Matter of fact, he got into a debates with them, got into arguments with them, and they're about to kill him. Church leadership found out about it, grabbed him, took him to the nearest seacoast, and shipped him back home to Tarsus, where he was from. And it says, then, say then. then. The verse says, then there was peace in the church and great blessing. How would it like for you have to be shipped out of the church before there could be blessing in the church? <laughs> and so Paul was a went one, not a sent one. And so he got into trouble. And so here he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And so again, it's by the will of God that he was an apostle. Paul says, oh, I'm, glad. I'm so glad you called me to be an apostle. And I accept that will of God. And then he went right off and he ministered to the Jews, but he was called to the Gentiles. He, he says, well, thank you, God. Yes, I'll get to the Gentiles. Yes, I'm glad you called me to the Gentiles. I'll get to that, sir, after I go to the Jews. And so he went to the Jews and went to the Jews and went to the Jews. And every time he'd have a rock concert and he was on stage and he would get kicked off. And then he says, finally, I'll go to the Gentiles, preach the gospel and revival would take place. And God says, finally, thank you for going where I told you to go. So it's very important that you're a went one and you go, a sent one and you go in the will of God. And so the will of God is so important. It's not so important what you want or where you want to go, where God wants you to go. And so again, that's called a discipleship. So it's not so much where you want or what you want. This is not Burger King. This is not having it your way. It's having it Yahweh. So it's not him. Uh. You. you know, when the batter hits a home run, they go. Praise the Lord. When you're in the will of God, your work will not be stressed but blessed. And so, again, it's not really what you call yourself or what you want to be called. It's what God's called you to be. A tiger can wish to be a lion, call himself a lion, but he will never cease being a tiger. Tell someone, be content with who God made you to be, tiger. We know God's will for us. How do we find God's will? Well, there's two sides to God's will. There's the general will of God. That's God's general will for all of us, all equally. And where do you think you find that? You find it in the Word of God, in the Scriptures. And so then the specific will of God. That's how the general will of God looks specifically in your life. How is it fleshed out? How is it lived out specifically in your life? For instance, in the Word of God, it says, if you like to eat... Raise your hand if you like to eat. It says you need to work. You need to have a job. J-O-B. That's not Job. That's a job. And so you need to have a work. If you, but, but it doesn't say anywhere in Scripture, thou shalt work at Walmart. Now maybe in the book of Hesitations, 
but you can't find that. How do you find the general, the specific will of God? You find it by the Holy Spirit in your heart. If you'll follow the two divine P's, not the vegetable, the letter P, the two divine P's of grace that he puts within your spirit, you'll find the specific will of God in your life. What are those two P's? The first one's passion. Passion, that's a desire. Psalms 37, 4 says, as you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you, plant within you, deposit within you the desires he wants you to have. You know, and so there's so many Christians that are fine print Christians. You ever watch a, a, a TV commercial and they have a product that's so wonderful that's going to change your life. And if you order now, you can have two because <laughs> they're, they're out of stock. And the 30 seconds, 30 seconds, and then, then about an hour later, the same thing, 30 seconds. But there's a fine print, and you have all those fine print at the bottom basically telling you how you can't get that. Well, there's a lot of fine print Christians. And so they'll say, they'll proclaim, Jesus is Lord, and they have an asterisk. And you look down in fine print, void in areas of suffering. Or, Lord, I'll go anywhere but home, back where I came from. Or I'll do anything but pastor. I'll do anything, Lord, I'll go anywhere but Africa. But you know what? If you're a blank check and you leave that empty and you say, and let the Lord write to whoever, however, and if, you let, if you're an open blank, guess what? When he calls you somewhere, he'll drop a desire in your heart. You'll be sitting in Africa in that hut going, this is awesome. Everybody ought to be doing this. And so the first one's passion. That's the what of God's will. The second one's peace. Peace. That's the timing of God's will. Timing. So if you try to step out in the area of your desire and you don't have that peace, it means you're not ready, they're not ready, or circumstances are not ready. That's a yellow light. And what does a yellow light mean? Don't speed up. How many times? Yellow light, speed up. Tell someone, don't speed up. Slow down. Slow down. Passion and peace. Next, he says, that's the will of God. That's how you find the will of God. Next, he says, and Timothy, our brother. Look at the word Timothy. It means one who honors God. Names are important in the Bible, one who honors God. Timothy honored God by his faith, and he honored Paul as a spiritual father. He listened to him, directed by him. Till the very end of Paul's life, he was faithful to his spiritual father, Paul. And so Timothy, our brother, to the church, which is at Corinth, there is two sides to the church. There's the universal church. That is everyone on the earth today that's born again. They're part of the universal church. But every Christian should be part of a local church. And that is just a local gathering of people that are born again that belong to the universal church. And so, uh, again, uh, I don't, in our church, we don't have official membership. Because how do you, how do you become a member of the universal church? If you're born again. And the lo this local body is just a gathering of the universal church in this area. And so what do you do to join this church? Are you born again? And if not, we are open. We are wide open inviting you to join this, this club by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. We'll give you an opportunity to join this church after the church service and you can accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. But this is the church here in the Colorado Springs. But this was a church in Corinth. Look at the word Corinth. Corinth means satisfied. 
We're satiated. This church is that spoke exactly what this church was about. This church of Corinth was satisfied. They were so filled with pride. They felt like, I really don't need to hear anything. We know everything. Have you ever met somebody like that? Yeah. That talked more than they listened. Tell someone you have two ears and one mouth. <laughs> and they were filled with pride. They were satisfied. They were satiated with their self. And they were in Corinth. And so this church meant satisfied. And so look down here, it says, and all the saints who are in Achaia. Look at that word Achaia. Achaia means trouble. Trouble. This was a satiated, satisfied church, and that Corinth was in the region of Achaia. And so it said, basically, this church who was satisfied living in the land of trouble. Welcome to what the American church has been. A satisfied church living in the land of trouble ineffective but guess what there's a great revival there's a there's a great awakening and we're part of raise your hand if you're part of this great awakening this church is and so it says here it says corinth means satisfied they were so full of themselves matter of fact you know that word sophomore in high school sophomore you know what that comes that word comes from it comes from a greek a compound greek word Sophomore, soft, it comes from sophos, which means wise, and moros, which means moron. It means one who is a moron but thinks he's wise. And so this church was full of sophomores. And so they were so satisfied in themselves. But notice what Paul calls them. He calls them saints. This is probably the last thing I would think of call them. I would call them stiff-necked, rebellious. A lot of things I would call them, I wouldn't call them saints. But be careful what you call your children. We call them according to what I see them. Oh, they're just rebellious. No, see, call them what God sees them. A child of God, a son of God, a man of God, a woman of God, a powerful child of God. And so call them what God sees, but he calls them saints. Look at the word saints. It's the Greek word hagios, and it really means holy one. The word holy in the Bible, New Testament, it's the same Greek word as saint, hagios. And so guess what? As a saint, 60 times in the New Testament, Christians, all Christians are called saints. You're holy ones. You're separated unto God's special use. Now, there are some things in my house that are set apart. I don't get to get near. I don't get to touch. There's some towels that I don't get to use. There are some cups I get to use. Those are the plastic pizza cups that I got at the pizza parlor, and I can use them anytime. But there's some crystal, and there's some fine china in my cabinet that I don't get to touch anytime I want them. And so guess what? When you realize that you're set apart special for God's use, if you understand how holy you are, it would change how you would use your life. Amen. The things you would do, things you would say, things you buy, things you would go spend time on. If you understood really who you are, that you are a holy one, a saint. In some religions, and even in Christianity, in some sects of Christianity, you have to die to become a saint. And they vote on you to become a saint. And you had to have done religious deeds and miracles and lived a holy life. Religion always gets things backwards, always gets things backwards. The truth of it is you're born again a saint in order to live holy and to perform miracles. You start out that way. You're born into the kingdom of God as a saint. So just so in heaven, I believe you'll introduce yourself as saint so-and-so. Let's start right now. So I want you to introduce yourself and say, Hi, I'm saint, and give your first name. 
Is there any Holy Joes out there? There's always a Holy Joe in our midst. Let's go to verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Paul, I wish you'd just get to the point that your nicety's good. But no, don't hop over this verse because it's one of the most important things that Paul will write in this letter. And it's one of the most important things ever in the scripture will he ever write. Matter of fact, 17 times he repeats this over and over and over again. 17 letters of our New Testament starts out with this phrase, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul wants to get through to you. God wants to get through to you. His grace has been given. It's been extended. It's already yours. And get it through your thick skull. You don't need the grace. You have the grace. You just need to know about it and tap into it. Matter of fact, there's not a single place in the New Testament that tells you to pray for it. It doesn't say pray for grace. Grace is given to you over and over and over again. You have grace for whatever God's called you to do. You have grace for God's assignment. Grace is His unmerited favor. That's vertically, but horizontally, it's His power. It's His strength. It's His ability to do what you couldn't possibly do in your own energy. And so that grace is in your born-again spirit. That power is there, and it's there. You're, you have grace for whatever God called you to do. Matter of fact, he put this as the second verse because this is the resource to do everything written after it. And so that's why he starts out with grace to you because everything written after every epistle, everything written after that verse, that's the resource you draw from to fulfill it. And so it says grace to you and peace. How do you know you're walking in grace? You have peace. Peace is a direct result of grace. You may understand grace. You may preach grace. But if you're not in peace, you're not operating in grace. Ask someone, are you in grace? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the fountainhead of grace and peace comes from God the Father, but it comes through Jesus. There's no other way that grace and peace are going to come to you but by through Jesus. It's the only avenue. And so go down to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Look at this. God's, God's called blessed. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you realize God is really blessed? And God is your Father. He is blessed. Your Father is loaded. Well, my old man in Tennessee, he's poor and he can't rub two nickels together. I ain't talking about your natural father. I'm talking about your spiritual father. He's loaded. Loaded. And your older brother's a Jew. You don't have a money problem. You have a revelation problem. Tell someone you may not know who you are. You know, until you start, Christians are like, you know what? I sure wish when God, can't wait till when God blesses me. And, and, and guess what? He already has. He's already blessed you. Well, pastor, you pull out your wallet and you open up and you blow and smoke and dust gets over your face. And you're like, God, I don't see. I'm not blessed. But no, you, you're blessed in the spirit. You're blessed in, in the spirit realm. You're loaded in the spirit realm, and it manifests in the natural. Everything you see, can touch or hear, came out of the spirit realm first. Everything comes out of the spirit realm. Well, pastor, I live in an apartment complex. They don't take spiritual riches for rent. They take money. I need money. 
But you know where that money comes from. It comes first out of the spirit realm. Turn to Philippians 4.19. Philippians 4.19. Talking about where's the money going to come from? Where's that rent going to come from? Where's that blessing going to come from? It's not your wallet. It's going to end up in your wallet. But read Philippians 4.19, and there's some verses you've got to go Pentecostal to, get, to really get out of it. And this is a verse that you've got to go Pentecostal, so let's try to see if we can do that. And my God... Shall supply all you'll need according to his riches in glory. Glory! Got any hankies? I'm oh, sorry. Some people's like, oh, my church growing up just came back. In context, if you look in chapter 4, it's talking about money. In the context. So where is my, my need? How is he going to supply my need, Pastor? Well, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches. But where? In glory. Oh. Oh. In glory that's in Christ Jesus. So guess what? It's going to come from the riches you already possess. Amen. Ephesians 1.3 says, God hath blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places if there's a blessing that god has he's given it to you where not in the natural in your spirit man but you gotta understand what's there and acknowledge it and make a draw upon it and speak it faith the covenant the new covenant is voice activated you must by revelation realize what's there and release it by words and so blessed be the God and Father. God's blessed. He can bless you because he's blessed. You can't bless anybody if you're not blessed. Right. Well, just, you know, God just bless me and mine and, and that'll be all. Well, you selfish, right. all clammed up in yourself. Mm-hmm. You, can't have, you, can't have, you can't bless someone else if you have all your needs met and extra. Right. Tell someone God wants to give you extra. Right. Is anybody a candidate for extra? How about triple X, extra, triple extra, triple, triple. That was a word to the church, triple. You're the church, triple, triple. I'm speaking to someone, triple, triple where you are right now, triple. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You know, in the scriptures, we see many times, we see hundreds of scriptures that uses the word of God. We find the kingdom of God, the will of God, hundreds of scriptures. I was amazed about how many scriptures that had the word of God in them, things that belong to God. God has these things, but there's not very many scriptures that say the God of, God of. And so what are some scriptures that talk about the God of? Well, first of all, he is the father of mercies. And so first of all, he's the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Let's talk about mercy first. When do you need mercy? All the time. I like that. But you need mercy when you blow it. Have you ever blown it? Aren't you glad his mercies endure? His mercies endure to the end of the day. No, his, new, his mercies are new. You re-upped on your mercy for the morning, but don't try to exhaust it by the day's end. But his mercy endures forever. You cannot. 
But his mercy is only for those who appropriate his mercy. You have to admit, I've blown it, God. I need your mercy. Tell someone you need mercy. Now tell the other person on the other side, you really need mercy. And if you say, God, I've blown it, well, his mercy's there. And he will help you out of your pit of your own making. But notice it says the God of all comfort. The God of. Say God of. Many, many verses that talk about of God, but not very many to say the God of. What are some scriptures that uses the word God of? Well, God's called the God of patience. Aren't you glad? He is patient with us. Patient. He's the God of hope. Hope is the, the Greek word which means a confident expectation of good. He's the God of hope. This is who he is. You get near God, you're going to get hope. You may feel like I'm hopeless today. I don't have any hope. Well, your eyes are in the wrong place. You get near to God, guess what? You're going to have hope. Hope, confident expectation of goodness. Good things. God has good plans, only good plans. He never has one bad plan. And when you get into God's presence, I'm sorry, you're going to have hope. You're going to have hope. There's hope for you today. He says the God of hope, but then also the God of peace. He's the God of peace. Next it says he's the God of love. You got into God's presence, he's going to love on you. He can't help it. He's love. He's going to get so excited and just, nah! He's excited about you. He's the God of love. And here, he's the God of all comfort. What, what's comfort? What is comfort? Well, look at the word comfort. It's not sympathy. Uh, sympathy. Sympathy. I was thinking symphony. That's not the right word. Sympathy. It's like, oh, Jeremy, I'm sorry you're going through a bad time, buddy. I'll pray for you. Oh. No, that's called sympathy. God is not the God of sympathy. He's the God of all comfort. Look at this Greek word comfort. What does this word comfort mean? This word comfort means to be infused with strength. To be... It's strengthening aid, to inspire with courage, to invigorate. Comfort means with fortification. He's going to fortify you, strengthen you, cause you to be filled with strength. He's not going to just pat your head and say, oh, sorry, I'm sweetheart. It'll all be over one day when you come to heaven. No, he's going to fill you with strength. He's going to invigorate you. But you, come, you need to come into his presence. He's the God of all comfort. And you, you can't get near God and not receive strength. And everything about God wants you strong. Because guess what? He's given you a gift of praying in tongues. And when you start praying in tongues, you edify yourself. Build yourself up. Give yourself strength. The God of comfort does that. But in this verse, chapter 4, look at chapter, verse 4. It says, "...who comforts us in all our tribulation." that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which ourselves are comforted by God. In this verse, the word comfort used three times. Say three. That's the number for the Trinity. Guess what? All three members of the Trinity are into comforting and are called the comforter. God is the God. The Father is the God of all comfort. Notice Jesus says this about himself in... in uh, in, um, in, in John, he says, I will send you 
Matter of fact, it says, I will send you another comforter. Well, to send another comforter means that Jesus is a comforter. And then the Holy Spirit's called the comforter. All three of them are going to want to fill you with strength, fill you, invigorate you, fill you with power for what you're facing to overcome. I don't care how much tribulation the devil comes at you. The Trinity want to fill you with comfort that will overcome it every single time. But here's the question. How is he going to fill you full of this comfort? Is he going to hit you like a lightning bolt out of heaven? No. Primarily, there's a way. Primarily, you're going to be comforted by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's his way. That's how he does it. How does God comfort his children? Look in Romans chapter 15. Look at verse 4. Romans 15, 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that through the patience, say patience, and comfort of the what? Comfort of the scriptures might have hope. He's the God of patience. He's the God of hope, but he's the God of all comfort. How does he do it? He gives you his word. He gives you his promises. And on the promises, that's going to infuse you with strength, with invigoration. How many times you say, well, I prayed and I seek for guidance and all God gave me was scripture. <laughs> yeah. I went to my friend and I just poured out my heart and my problem to him. And all they gave me was a scripture. That's the best thing you could receive. Because the word's full of power. And it will fulfill. God will back his promises. Many Christians are standing on the premises, not the promises. Ask somebody, are you standing on the promises? Or just the premises? And so God is the God of patience. How is that going to come? How is the hope going to come? Through the promises of the Word of God. Well, how is the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. But how does He do it? Look in John 14, 26. John 14, 26 in the King James. John 14, 26. But the Comforter. Say the Comforter. That's His name. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. What's the difference between Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost? One's Pentecostal. It's more dangerous. Same Greek word, just in our translation. But the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you. Does it say he will just give you sympathy? No, he's going to teach you, teach you, teach you. Teach you what? The word, the word, the word. Because guess what? We want God just to, to wave his hand over our life and make the financial problem to go, make that problem go at work, just cause our spouse to start acting right, and we just want our problem to leave. But guess what? You didn't change. Your knowledge of God didn't change. Your character didn't change. And so he wants the word to change you first before he changes your circumstance. And so he gives you the power of his word. So it says, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, he will teach you all things. Look at John 16, 13. John 16, 13 says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth. The spirit of who? Truth. What is truth? Jesus said, thy word is truth. If he's the spirit of truth, he's the spirit of the word. The spirit of the word has come. He will guide you into what? Sympathy? No, into all the word. 
And he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he's heard, he shall speak and he shall show you things to come. So oftentimes we want God to come. We want to go to a prophet and the prophet come out, wave his hand over us and make the problem go. But no, God gives us his word, his scripture, his promises. God has over 7,000 promises for whatever you're facing today. I know you've had a bad day, but have you ever had over 7,000 problems in one day? You've never had that many problems, but God has promise, enough promises if you did. But you only need one word from God. Yeah, this is a prophetic word for someone. You need one word from God. Some of you already have it, and you're wanting something else. Stand on that word. It'll bring you through. But there's other people in this room. God's going to give you a word. Well, pastor, where do I get it? Ask the Holy Spirit. He's your helper. He's your helper. Tell someone you need help. Now tell someone else, you really need help. Does it come to that prayer? I just want a formula that I can just use whenever a problem comes. I just use my formula. You can teach a chicken formulas. Peck that button, peck that button, the corn calls up. Peck that button, peck, and the corn comes down. Tell someone you're not a chicken. You're a child of God. It's a relationship. You need a fresh word. Holy Spirit, lead me into the promise that you have for me that will bring me through. I'm feeling something today. I am highly caffeinated, and I didn't drink, and I didn't drink any coffee. There's God. He comforts us in all our tribulation. Look at that word tribulation. It means intense pressure. Have you ever had intense pressure in your life? This, this, word, this Greek word for tribulations is like if you had a BB up here and you pressed your thumb on it so hard that the entire thumb went around the BB and you have pressure from all sides. Have you ever had that? But guess what? When you have pressure from all sides, there's an internal pressure pushing out called the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the promise of God. And God's going to have an internal pressure that's greater than the external pressure. But you need the word. You need the word. You need the word. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. God wants to comfort you in the midst of your problem. But notice this. It says that if you'll receive the word, you'll receive the promise, you'll receive God's comfort, it's going to bring you through. And when you stand on the other side, you said, you know what? I've learned something. I know who my God is. I know that promise works because I'm standing on the other side. It brought me through. But guess what? Now I can help someone else through their problem. But notice what this verse says. This verse says that when I receive comfort, I'll be able to help those in any trouble. How many times we're trying to find someone that's going through the exact same thing I'm going through? Because no one else understands. What you're seeking, sweetheart, is sympathy. I want someone to sympathize with my feelings. They've been where I am. But you don't need just sympathy. You need the word. And it says if you use the word and gone through any trouble, you're able to help anybody through any trouble. You don't have to have gone through right exactly what they've gone through because you know the word that brought you through is the word that can bring them through. You know the principle that brought you through is a principle that will bring them through. There's principles that will bring you through any trouble. And God's called you to turn around and, with, and teach other people what brought you through. To bring your testimony. Do you have a testimony? Or just a moany? So many Christians just have moanies. But there's no testimony without the test. 
Oh, I just wished I had a testimony without a test. Doesn't work. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort, with the word, with the promise. That we ourselves were comforted by God. Verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in the comfort too. Have you ever had abundant sufferings? Some of us Christians think, well, no, there's no such thing as suffering. And I shouldn't suffer. Well, let me tell you something that you're not called to suffer sickness. You're not called to suffer poverty. You're not called to suffer lack and defeat. But there is a suffering you have not been redeemed from called persecution. Matter of fact, I'm going to share a promise with you that's not in any of your promise boxes. But it's a promise from the Word of God. Yay. That means yes. Those that would live godly in Christ Jesus, raise your hand if you would live godly in Christ Jesus, shall suffer persecution. It's a promise. Don't prophesy that, Pastor. I'm sorry. That's going to happen. Because it's called persecution. And so that's part of your assignment to go into the devil's world and preach the gospel. So as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, look at that word suffering. I did a, a word study on the word suffering. I used all of the derivatives of it. I looked every time in the New Testament where it said suffer, suffers, suffering, sufferings, every single time. And there's about a hundred of them. Every single time it's connected to persecution, either directly from the devil the world or your flesh. Ouch. First Peter 4 1 says, Those that have suffered in the flesh cease from sin. Because when you start walking according to the will of God, your flesh goes, No, shut up, flesh. <laughs> suffer away. But we're never called to suffer persecution by our own power. It says we can suffer according to the power of God. Amen. He gives you strength. Because let me give you some good news. You're only going to suffer in two different situations in your life. Only two. When you're in the will of God and when you're out of the will of God. In the will of God when you're out of the will of God. And I'd much rather suffer in the will of God because I have glory. I have grace. I have strength. Not, I don't have grace to do a piece of stupid. I need mercy for when I do a piece of stupid. And so sufferings. You know what? Well, well, Pastor, if I just leave the devil alone, the devil will leave me alone. Shh. And the devil will leave me. No, he's not going to leave you alone. If you're a child of God, you bear his image, and he hates anything that reminds him of God. And so I heard that there, I heard about a story about the Civil War. A guy wanted to, he had to go to battle, so he went out and he says, I'm going to see what I can do to try getting getting shot at so he wore a blue coat and gray pants and he went out and got shot by both sides you're going to get shot at because you're on enemy territory but I want to be wearing my armor that can defuse all of the weapons of the enemy it says Christ's sufferings well look in the scriptures did Jesus suffer the sniffles? Peter, pray for me. I have the flu this morning. I can't lay hands on someone. I'll give them germs. You don't see him suffering sickness. You don't see him going, oh, what am I going to do, Peter? I don't have any money. He had a treasurer. 
that was stealing from his ministry and no one knew about it. He didn't suffer poverty. He didn't suffer defeat. Oh, I'm just a loser. No, he suffered persecution. And it's Christ's sufferings we partake of because we're sent out. And Jesus started the ministry and said, Tag, you're it, church. He began to do and teach. And then he says, Tag, church, take my place. But wear my armor. You got my promises. You got my strength. I've given you everything you need. He didn't just send you out naked without any, anything, any preparation and say, Have fun with that. And then, Oh, sorry. No, he's given you everything to win. When you go out. For we have, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So through Christ we abundantly in the comfort. Look in verse 6. Now if we are afflicted. Have you ever been afflicted? Afflicted. That means again crushing pressure from all sides. Why do we have trials in this life? Good question. Why are there trials in this life? Don't go to religion for the answer because it gets it wrong. Always gets it wrong. It gets it backwards. And so religion will say, you have trials in your life right now is because you're in one big classroom and God is teaching you. And so this whole world, when you go out those doors and you have the trials of life, you're in a big classroom and you're being taught things. And so bad religion says, or the worst kind of religion says, God's sending them to you. Here's a little cancer to learn. Here's a little car wreck to learn. Or he allows you to go through them so you can learn. Now, if you don't learn through trials, then you're stupid. But that's not the purpose of them. Why do you have trials? Not because you're in a classroom, but when you walk out the door, you're in a battlefield. Why? You're on assignment. You're supposed to go out and preach the gospel in a devil's world and take people out of his kingdom into that, and you're a target, and he will attack you. That's why you have trials. You have an assignment. But the church at Corinth thought they were on carnal cruise lines. They were on a battlefield. A lot of Christians think they're on carnal cruise lines. Pass the lotion. Now if we're afflicted, if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation. Why was Paul being afflicted? Because he was on assignment. He went into Corinth and went into the devil's world, went into that land of idols and preached the gospel and brought them out into salvation and got attacked for it. But he also received comfort on the other side of it. He says, if we're afflicted, it's because we're working for your salvation. We're on assignment, which is effective. Notice this, it says, now if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for the enduring of the same suffering which we suffer. What is Paul saying in this verse? He says, we're on assignment. We, we, we came out and brought you to salvation. We were attacked, but God comforted us. He had strengthened us. He brought us through. But now tag, you're it. Now that you're saved, what's your job? Now you go out into the devil's world. Now you go preach the gospel. Yeah, and you will get attacked, but guess what? There's comfort, there's strength, there's power, there's victory, there's promises that are going to bring you through, bring you through, bring you through. And so today, you, you might have afflictions in your life today, sufferings in your life, but it's not about you. And what is the devil trying to do? He's trying to distract you, get you to give up on your assignment. He's trying to get you to feel sorry for yourself and just focus on yourself and say, no devil, 
I realize the reason you're attacking me is because you're wanting to stop my assignment. And I'm going to pray for more people than I prayed for before. I'm going to witness to more people. I'm going to lay hands on more people. Yeah, I feel there's a symptom in my body. I'm going to find someone else to lay my hands on. And in the midst of you going out, the power of God's going to heal your body. Give the Lord a hand. Bow your heads. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. That you're a judo master. The enemy comes at us, but you turn it around and bring salvation, but also salvation to other people. And so, Father, thank you for those that are in this room. And so, if you say, Pastor, I'm going through a trial right now, and I realize it's not about me. It's about my assignment. It's about I'm in a battlefield right now, and I'm not going to get my, my, my focus off. I am going to serve the Lord, but I need strength right now. I need invigorated. I need to be fortified today so that I can come out on the other side so I can comfort somebody else. That God show me somebody else that I can minister to in my trial. And the same word that set me free will set them free. And I'm going to go and I'm going to get more people. And the devil shouldn't attack me because now I'm bringing three with me on the other side of victory. And you say, that's me, Pastor. Pray for me. I'm in a trial. Raise your hand high so the Lord can see it. Lord, I thank you for those that have hands raised. I speak comfort, strength, power. The Lord, they are, some of them already have a word. They already have a promise. Remind them. But Lord, to those that don't, give them one. Holy Spirit, lead them into your promise and into their victory. And Lord, show them who they can bring with them through victory. Show them who they can pray for, who they can preach to, who they can share that word with and see them free. And we thank you that you get all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's... I just got Ephesians 3.20 that God can do exceedingly above and beyond anything you can ask or think or imagine. So whatever you're going through and whatever you think the solution is, um, God has something like way even better than you can imagine. Amen. Word in tongues. And if anyone, I have a word from the Lord in tongues. And if anyone have the interpretation, Please come forward when I'm done. Eshete alokote ala sanariyeri. Shonea le se ashata isi. Oshonori alariyeri alokoto sanari ishi kasata. Eshenete onoso oko la sanariyeri alokoto reale. Inia la sata yi shikia la sana de do soto o lo nodo imia sana shia shataya de si imita my children Oh, my children, you are so precious to me. I've given you so much. How I love you. Believe my word. That's me, that's my heart for you. Believe my word. I've given you that ability through my son. Believe, believe my word. 